Welcome to the Die Hard Minute, where Movies by Minute hosts talk about the 1988 John McTiernan-directed movie Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rick of the Mad Max Minute Podcast. And I'm Julia, also from the Mad Max Minute Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 29, which begins with Hans admiring a model of a bridge, and it ends with Theo staring at the CEO's workstation. So, we pick up today. Hans has just given us a great example of his classical education at work. And as he looks off screen, he notices something else in the room and says, oh, that's beautiful, and walks off into the next shot that we get. So he's walking up to this giant model bridge, and it's an interesting shape. It's kind of a couple lanes, and then the lanes split off, and there's a bunch of trees and stuff in the middle, but it's on this giant glass table with little boats and everything like that. It's it's a pretty good-looking bridge. But the thing I want to bring up right here and now is something that we've been going back and forth with all week so far. This idea of there being... Hans the thief and Hans the terrorist. I think when he was addressing the crowd of people in the main room, he was putting on this air of Hans the terrorist. But then in all of these interactions with Takagi, I would say one-on-one, but there's always guards present, but you get the idea of Hans just the thief, the regular old Hans. And so I'm not sure if there is as much of a distinction as I think there is, if that's what they intended. I don't know. What do you think? I think you just covered a lot in one sentence. (laughs) I think you jumped into like half the minute. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to answer your question yet. I'm going to cut back to the beginning of the minute. Okay. In the at the very end of last minute, he's starting in on this kind of high-minded philosophical quote, you know, showing off his classical education. And then in the transition between last minute and this minute, he like sees something shiny. And it's like, ooh, something pretty. I'm going to go talk about that. Mm-hmm. He's completely distracted by something pretty on a table. Right. I found that amusing. So do you think this is like genuine, this is who Hans is in daily life type of person? Yes. Partly because I think that Hans in daily life as a person is an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) So him acting kind of assholery is fitting. Holish? Yes. Something like that? Um, I think that he is making small talk. I don't think he's going out of his way to make himself look sophisticated mm-hmm. for the most part. I think when he when he did the Alexander quote last minute, I think that was him going out of his way to show off his classical education. But him going into talking about how he likes models, I think that's just him. He saw something, he genuinely saw something pretty, got distracted from his from the speech maybe he would have given and talking about something that he actually likes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I think I just might be thinking about the character too deeply, which I know is an interesting thing to say when we are commencing an entire episode of a daily podcast where we talk about a movie one minute at a time. Right. The idea of delving too deeply. But I might just be getting too much in my head about this performance of the face that Hans shows to the hostages versus the face that he shows to Takagi as an individual. I think I might be just overthinking it a little too much. 
I think maybe not, because when he does, once he steps into that elevator and he's more or less alone with Takagi, he does, he seems to relax a little. He seems to be showing more of his own personality. When he was up in front of the group, he was very in charge and authoritative. Mm-hmm. Once he got in that elevator, once he came face to face with Takagi, actually, he relaxed. He's like... Hi, it's nice to meet you. How are you today? Yeah. And he was very like one-on-one with Takagi. I think part of that is that he feels like maybe Takagi is the only one in the room that is his equal. Mm, I like that. So when he gets alone with Takagi in the elevator, more or less, he's got his lackeys around, but they don't count. And then he's in in the office with him looking at the models, and then his attention is drawn to the bridge model. I think he's just talking because he sees Takagi as an equal. Yeah. So I think it's kind of in between what you and I think of his behavior. I think it's I think it lands somewhere in between, perhaps. I really like that idea of Hans seeing Takagi as more of an equal compared to the other people that were in the room when they busted in and started rounding everybody up. I think it kind of explains why he's behaving a little differently now just because he adapts to the people that he's in front of like when he's in front of a giant group of frightened people he needs to be authoritative when he's just with the one person like you say he can relax yeah he has control he has what he asked for he has takagi so he can relax a little Mm -hmm. and relax he definitely puts on that air he starts giving a little bit of background for himself which i think we can trust it seems like a pretty innocuous thing to admit to someone he talks about how he always enjoyed making models when he was a boy he enjoyed the exactness the attention to every conceivable detail and that really struck me because those two attributes you to pull off a successful operation heist whatever you want to call it that he is doing you have to have those two details Mm -hmm. you have to have attention to detail and attention to exactness and an ability to to meet that exactness or else your operation's going to fall apart yeah when i was growing up i always preferred lego when it came to like building models partly because with actual model building you do have that exactness and attention to detail and the main reason that i didn't get into that sort of model making was because it required a lot more additional resources things like paints and glue and Mm -hmm. things like that that i didn't want to invest the resources in and i didn't want to spend the time messing around with yeah so i went with something you know equally complex at times but more or less simpler yes and the famous thing about lego is their attention to detail and their exactness it's already done for you yeah they have already spent the time and effort to craft these blocks that each one is exactly the same Mm -hmm. and they are going to fit together exactly perfectly every time yeah and i think the whole idea behind getting kids hooked on lego is that you give them the pieces you show them one configuration and then the idea is that they take those ideas and these pieces and they make other things which Mm -hmm. i definitely did oh yeah now that i'm older i really prefer the models because i can just put them together put them up on the shelf and then they look cool Uh, but at the same time you can go from 
something simple like Lego, where all the instructions are neatly laid out and step by step by step. And then you've also got the model building, which Hans was more into, where they give you the the pieces and they give you the instructions, but then all of the detail work, the distressing and the aging and the painting, that's all up to you. Yes. And I think, just like you said, that's a perfect hobby for a boy that's going to grow up to be an amazing thief. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think he calls himself an exceptional thief later on, but the word escaped me at the the moment. Yeah. And once more of his plan starts to present itself to us, we get just the very first inkling in this minute. Once we learn more, you realize that it's a complicated plan Mm -hmm. and there's diversions and decoys and anticipating the moves of an entire branch of the government. Yeah. And attention to detail is just, it's mind-blowing. What's really mind-blowing is just how many pieces are moving in this plan that he's put together. How many disparate teams and individuals are going out, taking care of tasks, getting in place and setting things in motion that he doesn't even have to worry about because he's got such a rock solid plan. The only thing he doesn't account for is the interference of John McClane. Yeah, it actually just now reminded me of the Joker Mm -hmm. from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Is that the right movie? Okay. So he's got, we kind of follow the Joker and what he's doing and his craziness and his weirdness. We see these little bits of the plan pop up and take effect. And you realize that he's got people like all over the city setting things up and doing things. And he's not micromanaging them. Mm -hmm. He's just doing his part, letting them all do their parts and everything works out perfect. I mean, take the opening bank robbery scene. You've got the one guy drilling into the vault. You've got all the people controlling the bank customers. There's the person driving the school bus at the end. There's so many individuals and then we're introduced to the Joker and he has that one line in the movie, do I look like the kind of guy who actually has a plan? It's like, yeah, no, you don't look like a guy that has a plan. But there are so many things that the Joker does in that movie where if he didn't have a plan, it just wouldn't work. Right, there wouldn't be a movie. As opposed to Gruber, who does look like a man who has a plan. Oh, absolutely. The moment he walks out of that elevator, you look at him and you're like, okay, he's got something going on. Right, you know he's in charge. And you should be worried about that. Mm -hmm. And they are. (laughs) Yeah. I think the threat of menace that kind of carries in his presentation, it might be one of the reasons why he's sharing so much with Takagi, talking about the suits that he owns, talking about his hobbies as a boy, almost like he's trying to put Takagi in a situation where Takagi acknowledges that, you know, they are on the same intellectual level because that's how Han sees the situation. I think Takagi just sees him as some terrorist come to do something and Hans is trying to say, hey, no, there's more to me than just, you know, 10 or 15 dudes with machine guns. So you think that Gruber actively wants Takagi to recognize that they are equals? I think so, because in his reasoning, it would mean that Takagi would be more cooperative. I I really like that. I had not thought of that myself. Mm -hmm. It's very egotistical, and it's interesting because... Because a lot of villains like Gruber, who see themselves as superior, 
and therefore they should get their way, mm-hmm. don't see themselves as having equals, as truly having peers. Yeah. But Gruber does. He sees Takagi as an equal, and he wants he wants Takagi to see Gruber as an equal. Yeah, if for no other reason than to just make the plan move more smoothly. Because as we're going to find out tomorrow, if Takagi can give him the one piece of the plan that Takagi can provide... Mm-hmm then everything will go really smoothly and the they'll movie be, would be over. Exactly. They'll be out of there before sunrise and everything will be hunky-dory. Before we step away from Hans talking about the bridge, you're a fan of architecture yes. and design and things like that. Yes, I am. Would you agree with Hans that this is a good-looking bridge? Oh, absolutely. It's a beautiful bridge. I really like the, like the like the wide sweeping lines, how it it starts as one bridge, it splits off into two, and it comes back with like a green space in the middle. Mm-hmm. That green space in the middle, I don't recall. Was it decorated like wild space? Or was it decorated like cultivated space? It looked a recall. bit landscaped in the model. You know, trees and bushes and grass and things like that. Oh, I imagine like it would neat. be landscaped in real yeah. life. Because it just doesn't seem very practical. Yes. But it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Now, we learn straight from Takagi that this is a bridge project in Indonesia. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming that it's going to be up over saltwater. And so the idea of having greenery in the middle of a bridge... You'd be pumping fresh water out onto the bridge to cultivate the landscape, and then that would be obviously draining into the ocean. It'd be kind of like, ah, man, it's too bad they can't cultivate that with something a bit more economic. Is that word I'm thinking of? Ecological? That might be a better Maybe. word I'm for not, it. Yeah. yeah. It's, like having, it's like having a saltwater tank versus a, fi- a freshwater tank. Like if they could have a saltwater landscape instead of a freshwater landscape, yeah, <laughs> it would be a little bit more efficient. Um, but... As far as, like, the green space that they put in between highways sometimes, like, they'll they'll spread, like, wildflower seeds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, like, around the country they do that, but I know here in New Hampshire they do that a lot. And there's it turns out beautiful, but they don't they don't take care of that at all. Yeah, I think... It's just left to the wild. Like, they'll spread the seeds and then walk away. Yeah, the most the Highway Agricultural Department ever does is they mow the grass to keep it from being unruly, but yeah, there'll be but large that's... patches where they just let it grow. Right. And as long as it's not encroaching on the road or eliminating enough shoulder space for people to be able to pull over, they'll just let yep, it they grow. they just let it grow. So that seems more practical for this bridge. Yeah. Which is something, I mean, when you make a model... The green space, it looks landscaped because that's just, you're making a miniature artificial green space. So yeah, it, it just looks landscaped. It's one of those things where it's not necessarily going to stay that way once they go from the conceptual model building right. phase up to the real world building phase. So Takagi's next few lines are kind of pushed to the background. Yeah. And before we jump over to John, I want to talk about those lines. So as we see John sneaking onto the floor, Mr. Takagi says, Is this what this is all about, our project in Indonesia? Contrary to what you people may think, we're going to develop that region, not exploit it. Okay, that's a little different than what I heard, so I'm glad you had the real Mm. dialogue. What did you hear? Uh, something more like we're going to build the bridge without exploiting the area, which basically means the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I found it very interesting that Takagi jumped to the assumption that this whole hostage situation was because of the bridge. Yeah. It was because of that project in Indonesia, which, first of all, makes me think that he feels guilty about it. 
that he's got something to hide related to the bridge in Indonesia. Yes. And also makes me wonder what he meant by you people. <laughs> well, the you people part isn't very hard because he, as far as Takagi is concerned, sees Gruber and the rest of them as terrorists. People yes. that are here to punish the corporation for international greed. Yes. And so he's been on the extreme defensive this entire time. Yes. So you think he, that he's assuming they're ecological? Is that the right word? I feel like we're not saying the right word. That they're like eco-terrorists? Yeah, like eco-terrorists. Like, like they want to punish because the bridge is going to hurt a manatee or something like that? I don't actually think there are manatees in Indonesia. I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Right. But it's a valid point that building a bridge like this is going to harm the local ecology in some way yeah but it makes sense that he would get really defensive about this specific project because hans is calling attention to it so specifically yeah and you know he's on the defensive ready to defend the company from whatever front that Hans decides to poke at them from. And I think this is just an example of Hans not really being able to win Takagi over to his side. Right. Takagi isn't falling for the small talk bit. Right. You know, he's the kind of person that really would prefer not to have his company building overrun by terrorists at Christmas time. (laughs) I can't think of too many people that wouldn't be the same way, but I will definitely applaud Mr. Takagi for keeping his cool. Like he is steady through this whole interaction. I think he only really loses his cool at like one point. (laughs) Yeah. While Takagi is saying all of these things in the background, we see that John has found his way from the stairwell into the executive offices, and he's kind of peering around the corner. And I appreciate that we see him come in because we kind of have to justify what we're seeing in this movie as viewers. Like, we have a POV character, which is pretty well established as John McClane. He is our main POV character. Yes. And... But we spend so much time not looking from his point of view. That we have to bring him into these situations. Yes. So that we can be reminded, okay, this is important information that we as the viewers have, and we need to know that our POV character has this information to act off of. That way it's not a surprise later on. And him being in the room for this scene and beyond, in the next few minutes, beyond what we're going to cover is really important. Mm -hmm. The fact that he witnesses it is very important to the storyline. John actually doesn't do much in this minute. He just kind of sneaks in. The main action is definitely back with Hans and Joseph. So Takagi has just defended the company's actions in building a bridge in Indonesia, and Hans fires back with, I believe you, I read the article in Forbes. And he doesn't quite say it in the same way that I just said it. No, he says it almost spiteful. Like, oh, I read it in Forbes. Yeah, and I do see, kind of getting back to the subject of corporate greed back from a few minutes ago, that Gruber kind of dropped that subject after he said, we're going to teach you a lesson about corporate greed or however he said it. He kind of dropped the subject from then. But, But the fact of Takagi and Nagatomi having an article in Forbes, I think, is proof of corporate greed. Like being featured in Forbes is kind of like a rogues gallery for the corporate world or something? Or? Not necessarily. It's not like I have a negative opinion of Forbes, but it is it does have the reputation of being a magazine for 
large corporations. Yeah. And in this context, it's being assumed that because you are a large corporation in that Forbes club, then there is greed in your corporation. Yeah. One thing is for sure. going on. The fact that they were talked about in Forbes, it definitely paints a target on them because this is a public corporation talking about, oh, look how great the Nakatomi Corporation is doing right now and they've got all this money and they're building a new bridge. And so Hans, who's sitting there, probably flipping through the pages looking for the next place to hit, is like, oh, hey, that's a building that's under construction. I might be able to do something interesting with that. Like, it's... You think that's how he chose Nagatomi? It's possible. I just... It doesn't seem like such an indictment that they were in the magazine, and I'm not saying necessarily that you're saying they are. But I like the idea that Nakatomi was chosen specifically because geographically they are vulnerable, being under construction and having fewer people in the building and everything like that. I feel like this is just part of Hans's plan. And that Forbes article probably, you know, gave him an opening that he recognized and decided to exploit. Makes me wonder if this was his first time or if he has pulled off large heists like this Mm -hmm. successfully. Therefore, he's able to keep doing it. Well, it's not discussed later in the movie. They The FBI pulls information about Hans and his past exploits with groups that he's been associated with. And I don't think they specifically mention any previous jobs that he's pulled. But just because they don't have record of it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. If I it mean, did happen, then it happened very well. Hans calls himself an exceptional thief. And part of the hallmarks of being an exceptional thief is that people don't write about your exploits right it's that the fbi <laughs> doesn't really know who you are exactly and, right that nobody knows you're an excellent thief i mean unless he left a calling card behind but hans may be theatrical but i don't think he's that theatrical no i feel like calling cards are a little foolish yeah like claiming credit for something that you don't want credit for mm-hmm. in any way even like in a coded way just doesn't seem like a good idea yeah it's that's why it's a literature trope the idea of the i think one of the ocean's 11 movies has a oh, yeah. thief that leaves by a behind I, um, a little fu- statuette or something like yeah, that yeah i think it's a little onyx fox that sounds right yeah i was actually thinking i've been thinking a lot about those movies as we've been discussing gruber and his thievery mm-hmm. and his planning and attention to detail and and those kind of things i was thinking about the ocean's 11 series mm-hmm. and the similar exactness and skillfulness with which they pull off heists and and the personalities that they present to us are like equally delightful as Gruber's personality. So why are we rooting for Ocean's Eleven and rooting against Gruber? Well, I definitely think we're rooting for Danny Ocean because he's played by George Clooney. And how can you not like George Clooney? Right, but it's, but Gruber's played by Alan Rickman and everybody loves Alan Rickman. That's true. I think it's also the idea of like ripping off a casino versus, you know, stealing from a company. It does kind of make me think of a situation where you take Hans Gruber versus Danny Ocean and then for kicks, let's throw in... Charlie Crocker. Yes. He's the main guy in the Italian job. So you take those three teams of people that are amazing at stealing things. Yes. And you put them all up against each other and they have to, you know, put together plans and execute them. And it would be cool to have like kind of a crossover situation where you kind of 
have some sort of MacGuffin and all three teams want to go after it. I feel like you'd probably have it's an funny, easier time. funny because that's the plot of the second Oceans movie. Oh, really? Is it? They are... Oceans 12? Yeah, it's the European one. The one with the Onyx Fox or whatever it actually is. Where there are competing thieves and whoever gets it first wins. Huh. That's the... Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so when you when you suggested that that competition between those three groups of thieves, it occurred to me that Danny Ocean and his crew and Charlie Cameron's last name and Crocker. his crew, thank you, they almost go out of their way to not use violence. Yes. And Gruber goes out of his way to use violence. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. So I think those, I think that's a big marker as to why we are not rooting for Gruber. Yeah. No matter how much we enjoy watching him on screen or how questionable the ethics of Nagatomi Corporation is, we're not going to root for Gruber because he's violent. I'm glad you brought that up because that's really a distinguishing difference between the Ocean's Eleven and Italian Job teams and Hans Gruber because you're absolutely right. In those other movies, if they can avoid people, they avoid people. Yeah. Whereas Hans sees a building full of people and says, all right, well, let's just put all of those people in one room and point guns at them. (laughs) It's crazy. So this is all fun, us talking about different things, but Hans is getting a little impatient. He says to Mr. Takagi that he could talk about industrialization and men's fashion all day, but he's afraid that work must intrude. And he has an associate that has a couple of questions for Mr. Takagi, and really it's more of a bunch of fill-in-the-blanks questions because... Theo is in the executive office sitting at Mr. Takagi's workstation and he's got the little screen open and he is ready to fill out the ultra gate key and daily cipher <laughs> to get into their computer there. I appreciate how efficiently Gruber moves from one scene to the other. Mm-hmm. Normally transitions like that, it, that's very, you know, the writers of the movie and the editors of the movie have control over how that happens. You really feel like Gruber has control. He mm. took control even from the writers and the editors <laughs> and moved us from one scene to the other. Yeah. He was like, all right, enough of this. We're moving on. There's one Movies by Minute host that absolutely freaking loves screen readouts. <laughs> and she is not here to talk about this minute. So, Crystal Beth, this is for you. The computer screen that Theo is looking at says CEO Workstation, Nakatomi, Socrates, BSD 9.2, Z Level Central Core, Preliminary Clearance Approved, Subroutine Finance slash Alpha Access, Alpha Access being underlined, Authorization, Ultra Gate Key, and Daily Cipher. So they need either one or both of those codes. I'm assuming it's both so mm-hmm. that they can get into the vault. But we're not going to hear about the vault until tomorrow because we get a little bit more conversating between Hans and Mr. Takagi. But that's all well and good. We'll get to that tomorrow. Tomorrow. If you would like to hear more from us, uh, you can find us at the Mad Max Minute podcast on our homepage at madmaxminute.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. The Die Hard Minute podcast is a collaboration of Movies by Minute podcasters. Find out more about the Movies by Minute format at moviesbyminutes.com. Die Hard Minute is produced by Jim O'Kane. Our intro music is by John Stebby. Our closing theme is by Tom Geyer. You can follow Die Hard Minute on Twitter at Die Hard Minute, on Facebook at Die Hard with a podcast listener's limo, and at DieHardMinute.com. Subscribe to this podcast by searching Die Hard Minute on iTunes and Google Play. Until next time, oh, that's beautiful. Tell me you got that. I got it, I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.